according to Torah, a person is not supposed to say, if only. Not supposed to live with the, with the thought or with the belief that if you had behaved differently, things would have turned out differently. You're not supposed to believe that. You're supposed to believe that the way things turned out, that's the way things were supposed to be. And so you can't say, if I had been smarter five years ago, my life would now be different. Other than, if you had been smarter five years ago, you would be even smarter now. That's probably true. But other than that, nothing would have changed. Events in your life would have turned out exactly as they are, only you would have had greater wisdom to deal with it. But everything would have been the same. If that's true, then who needs wisdom altogether? Then why have wisdom? Then why worry about anything? So what drives us? What worries us? What pushes us? What motivates us? Why are you so serious? About what? That something might go wrong? Nothing can ever go wrong. So what do you need to know? It sounds a little bit simplistic. Well, maybe the truth is simplistic. Simple-minded people are the happiest people. So what do we worry ourselves over? What do we make ourselves crazy for? For what? To make sure that things go the right way? How can they not? And if we worry, then they'll go the right way. <laughs> Since when? If we try harder, then everything will turn out right? Who said so? Where's the evidence to that? There's no evidence. So it seems like the most natural, the most reasonable, the most truthful thing we can do is just sit back and let God run the world because he's going to run it anyway. So why work up expectations? Why set up all sorts of goals and schemes only to see it disintegrate in front of your eyes? Stop scheming. Stop having goals, stop making plans, stop worrying, stop planning. Let it be. Whatever will be, will be. And wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Not just nice. It would be true, too. Because it's true. Whatever will be, will be. So why do we find it so hard to do that? Yeah, but we're not. <laughs> it's wishful thinking. That's right. It's wishful thinking. Yes, but so what? So what? So we can worry ourselves to death. That's all. Is there freedom of choice? 
And there must be a reason for it. So what does all the Torah and all the teachings and all the laws and all the commandments and all the writings, what is it all about? Whatever will be, will be. Obviously, that's not, that's not the whole story. Obviously, you need to talk and to learn and to study and to ask and to find out why. To feel alive. I guess the question boils down to very philosophical terms. If there exists an absolute truth, and we don't know what it is, then the best thing we can do is just get out of the way. A complete and perfect tzaddik is someone whose body is motivated by truth, by, by what's really there. I'll put it in different words. The Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, at a certain hour on Friday nights would fall asleep. He would fall asleep no matter where he was, no matter what he would be doing, he would fall asleep. Why? Because in heaven, in the divine spheres in heaven, Friday night at a certain hour is a time of sleep. In heaven. And whatever was happening in heaven happened to the Altadebbe while he was on earth. So if the Rebbe smiled, it was, it was because in heaven there was a time of joy. If the Rebbe was angry, it was because in heaven there was a time of anger. If the Rebbe falls asleep, it's because in heaven there's a time for sleep. Not that he went to sleep. He fell asleep involuntarily. Which means that even his body functions matched the events in heaven. Somebody once said, if you want to know what the law is in Torah, ask a tzaddik how he behaves concerning this issue. The way he behaves, that's the halacha. Because the body of a tzaddik marches to the beat of God's will. Somebody, I forget who it was, one of, one, one of, the, one of the, the Rebbe was once asked his opinion on a certain question of, of halacha, of law. And he said, I don't know what the explanation is, but the law is that you do it this way. And I know that you do it this way because that's how I did it yesterday. In other words, intuitively, that's how his body behaved. And so he knows that that's correct, even though he doesn't know the rationale. 
That's if you're in touch with truth. And maybe we don't run into those kinds of tzaddikim every day. But we run into some people, we've run into some people, who seem to have this uncanny, magnetic attraction to what is true. They're true people. And without any effort, and maybe not even being conscious of what they're doing, they always come out with, with the truth. Whatever they say turns out to be the truth. That's, to some degree, being in touch with truth. <clears throat> the whole purpose of God creating a world in which the truth is not known, at least not instinctively, you have to read about it in books. You have to struggle to understand it. You have to grapple with it and with yourself to get yourself to face the truth, to see the truth, to be loyal to the truth, and so on. What is the point? What is the purpose? So we touched upon it yesterday. The purpose is to bring to the conscious level of existence the same truth that exists on the unconscious level of existence. What is the difference between unconscious and conscious? Freedom of choice. In other words, we have to bring to the world of choice the same truth that exists in the world where there is no choice. Or, in different words, with our own effort and by our own steam, we have to bring ourselves into agreement, into alignment, with what God wants. <clears throat> There's a law in in, uh, in Torah, in the laws of, of vows. When you make a vow, you're not allowed to violate that vow. Your word has to be, your vow has to be taken seriously. So if you make a vow, you must, you must fulfill that vow. So there's a whole section of laws in, in Shulchan Aruch that deals with what kind of vows and how do you, uh, rec how do you de define a valid vow and what's a non-valid vow and what if you can't keep the vow and how do you get out of the vow and so on. One of the laws about vows is that you can't make a vow that contradicts an earlier vow. So that, for example, if a person says, I take a vow to marry you, and gets married, and then a few years later he says, listen, I can't, uh, um, I gotta leave now because yesterday I promised somebody I would marry her. And I always keep my promise. The second vow is not valid at all. It's not a vow. And it doesn't have to be kept. Hmm? It's just a promise. No, no, no. They're both vows. But you can't make a second vow that contradicts the earlier vow. 
So the second vow is not a vow at all, not valid at all, and you don't have to keep it. Based on this, if a Jew makes a vow to do a sin, we're talking, we're talking earlier about a marriage between a Jew and a non-Jew not being a marriage. If a Jew vows to marry a non-Jew, there is no vow, he doesn't have to keep the vow, he doesn't even have to nullify the vow. It isn't a vow in the first place. Why? Because before you were born, your soul already swore and vowed to keep the commandments. And at Mount Sinai, when God gave the commandments, all our souls were present, including the souls of future conf com uh, a future converts, and we're already vowed to keep the commandments, and any vow that we make now that violates a commandment or to violate a commandment is not a vow at all. You don't have to take it seriously. You don't have to uh, be honest and, and keep your word because it's not a vow. You can't make a vow on top of another vow. So we all stand sworn to keep the mitzvahs, and therefore we can't swear to do anything other than keep the mitzvahs. Now, this vow is obviously not a conscious thing. <clears throat> we didn't make the vow while we were conscious. We didn't make the vow on a level where we had freedom of choice. We made the vow either pre-birth or prehistoric. But it certainly wasn't conscious. So on this unconscious level, we are committed to, to, to God, not only because God demands it, but because we already promised to do it. The step after that is to bring our conscious will in line with our unconscious will. That's why when a Jew undertakes to live a life of Yiddishkeit, even though it may be very strange and very different from what he was doing until now, yet at the same time, it seems to fit. It seems comfortable, familiar, even though it isn't familiar. Whereas when a Jew decides to do something that isn't Jewish, that is against Torah, no matter how exciting it may be, and no matter how satisfying it may feel, it doesn't quite feel right. And were it not for the excitement, the person would feel the discomfort the inappropriateness of it. But because it happens to be exciting and because it happens to satisfy a certain need, the inappropriateness is not felt, is buried. And that's why legally, in Jewish law, if a person has to fulfill a commandment voluntarily, if that's one of the conditions of the commandment, that it must be done voluntarily, you can beat him 
threaten him, harass him until he agrees to do it, and then it is considered a voluntary mitzvah. If you badger a Jew into doing a mitzvah, that mitzvah is fulfilled voluntarily. Because the psyche of a Jew is such that we already want to do whatever it is that is godly. Only living in a world where the truth is not always obvious, we can get uh, blocked, we can get twisted, so that we don't feel our own want. And when we are forced to do the right thing, we really want to do it anyway. And therefore, it is a voluntary act. So that if we want to be very generous towards ourselves and our fellow Jew, every time a Jew is forced to do something good, that's what he really wants to do. Every time a Jew does something you're not supposed to do, it's not really him. Conditions, circumstances. He's not being himself. Because if he would be left alone and would be free to do what he wants to do, of course he would do the mitzvah. Who wouldn't? 